Amen. As you're being seated this morning, let me invite you to take out your copy of God's Word. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 20. If you're watching online, you can pull out your device there and turn with us to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. One of the greatest pursuits of mankind is to pursue God. It is to know Him and walk with Him and experience His love and His fellowship with God. And and oftentimes, in the Christian faith, in the pursuit of God, sometimes, brothers and sisters, we overthink what it means to be spiritual. We believe that that the effort to be spiritual means we might need to study or read lots of books, or we might need to have deep theological conversations. There's not a a day go by, or excuse me, a a week or year go by where someone might say something of, well, I just want to go deeper with the Lord. I want to read more, study more. I want to go deeper in my walk with the Lord. We might do this through some sort of emotional time of worship where we try to Find this deepness with the Lord. But what's interesting is, brothers and sisters, is that when you survey the Bible, and let me say this, I'm, I'm for Christians reading. We should be people who pursue the things of God in our intellect. I'm for worship and singing. I'm for deep conversations. But when you study the Scripture, one of the things that's interesting is, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, spiritual maturity is always seen in obedience. It's always seen in obedience. The spiritually mature, those who walk with God, those who have a relationship with God that's stable and steady, it's always marked by hearing what the Lord says and doing it. It's not marked by deep conversations and libraries full of books and worship experiences. It's marked by believers who have been changed by God and go and live differently in the world. In fact, Solomon, the wisest man known to live on the earth other than Christ himself, was writing to his son, and he writes this in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 12 through 13. He says, My son, beware of anything beyond this. Of making many books there is no end, and much study there is weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Now here's his summation. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of of man. Solomon, the the wisest man known on earth that had pursued every way in which you could pursue fulfilling life and following God, gets down to the end of his life, looks at his son and says, son, let me sum it up for you. Hear what God says and do it. Jesus would give us this same idea in John chapter 14. He would say, if you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus' brother James, in writing his letter to the church, would say these words, Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. So, brothers and sisters, the goal of the Christian life is to hear God, walk with God, study God's word, and then do what it says. It's not rocket science. It's not overwhelming. People will, might ask me, and I find myself doing the same, Lord, I want to grow in my spiritual walk. And Jesus' plain and clear words, if you love me, obey me. Spiritual growth is connected to obedience. Now, why do we say all that? Because we're studying the Ten Commandments. In the Bible, in Exodus chapter 20, we have the Ten Commandments. In the Hebrew, it's literally the Ten Words. We have the Ten Words of God, the rules of God, given by God from heaven's lips to us, as this is what God asks of His people. This is what obedience look like, looks like. Follow my commandments. And so this morning, 
we find ourselves on the Eighth Commandment. We have journeyed through the first seven together. If you've missed those, you certainly can go to our website and go back and study them with us. But we're on the Eighth Commandment. You shall not steal. You shall not steal. Look with me in Exodus chapter 20. And because we didn't do it last week, let's get a running start and start with verse 1. And hear the Ten Commandments again. And we will read through verse 15. Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or the likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that's on the earth beneath or that's in the water under the earth. Verse 5. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Verse 7, you shall not take the Lord your God's name, the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but on the seventh day it is the Sabbath to the Lord, your God. On it you shall not do any work, nor your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner that is within your gates. Verse 11, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and sea and all that's in them, and he rested on the Sabbath day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, that the day may be long in the land that you, the Lord your God, has given you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, and here is our eighth commandment for the day, you shall not steal. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, help us as we uh, unpack this command, you shall not steal. Uh, help us to understand what it means and how we might be breaking it without even knowing, Father. Or, uh, Father, some of us might be breaking it knowingly. Lord, remind us that spiritual growth, that maturity, that what you're calling us to is simple obedience. It is to hear your word and obey. And so, Father, I pray for, for those of us that are here in the room and those that are watching online, Lord, I pray that we would hear your word, that we would pray to you, that you would convict us where we're not obeying you, we would repent from not obeying you, and, Father, we would begin to obey you. That we would become spiritually mature by hearing your word and doing it. Lord God, I pray you would move it from our mind's understanding to our heart's affection to our hands and feet doing. Teach us, Father, what you mean when you tell us, do not steal. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this commandment is very simple. It is exactly what you think it is. The Hebrew for do not steal literally means to appropriate someone else's belongings without their permission. It means to sneak away in night without them having it. It means to take what is not yours. On face value, this commandment is exactly what you think it means. There's not a lot of expounding on you shall not steal. In fact, you don't even have to be a Bible person to understand that stealing is wrong. Every civilization throughout all of history has had some more rules about taking what is not your own. And so you might think to yourself, well, pastor... The Ten Commandments are really good, they're really important, that not having God's before me and keeping the Sabbath, I needed some help there understanding the Sabbath, and, and adultery is a lot bigger than just walking out on my marriage, thank you for that, but, but pastor, you shall not steal seems kind of like a children's lesson. 
Like, we got this one. We, we got it, Lord. We understand we're not supposed to steal. So can we move on to something else, or can we just call it a day and go home? I know that's what you're thinking, but no, sister, you cannot go home. We have something to discuss here. We have something to see in this text. We want to make sure we know exactly what it means to not steal. See, I would submit to you that the commandment, you shall not steal, is one we probably battle more than we actually know. It's probably one that's pulling at our heart more than we actually think. It's probably one that we're struggling with more than we would actually give it. See, you don't have to be a safe cracker or a stick-up artist or a multi-million dollar embezzler just to be someone who steals. We all battle this temptation. So what I want to do this morning is I want to show you through three negative statements how we break this command or how we go against God in this command. Why it's wrong to steal. What what do we see from this? I want to give you three kind of negative statements to help us understand it. Number one, stealing shows a disregard for God's provisions. Stealing shows a disregard for God's Provisions. Now, when the Lord gave this command to the nation of Israel at the bottom of Mount Sinai, He is establishing the fact that He is the provider of everything. That everything they have is because God has given it to them. Uh, Psalm 24, 1, the world, the earth is the Lord and all that's in it. He has everything. And so whatever you have and whatever I have is a direct blessing from the hand of God. We have what we have because God, the sovereign God, gives and takes away. He's in charge of doling out the resources that we have. We have nothing apart from what God has given us. So when we step into taking something from someone else, we are looking at God and saying, what you have provided for me is not enough. Or even more, we're saying, God, we don't trust that you will provide for us. So we must do it ourselves. We must acquire our own. This is in direct correlation to what Jesus was praying in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, we trust that you will provide. And so the act of stealing is to look at the God who provides and say to him, we don't trust you. We don't think you can actually give us what we need. We'll do it on our own. It also has this idea of, if I take from you, that I am robbing what God has provided for you to have. The provisions that He set out for you to control. And so when I begin to go down this road of stealing, I am mocking the God who provides, who gives what we are to have. This is the context of the verse. And so we are exercising. One of the ways in which we can exercise our faith in God is trust what He's given us. It's to trust that He will provide. We can say to the Lord, I don't have to cut corners. I don't have to steal. I don't have to gain my own. I don't have to work for myself. Because in faith, Lord, I trust that You will take care of me. Stealing is a sign that we don't trust the Lord. Now, what's the opposite of stealing? If we want to trust the Lord's provisions, then the Bible would give us a different word. If stealing is to not trust the Lord's provisions, then stewardship is the call to trust the Lord's provisions. Stewardship is the idea of managing what the Lord has given us. Instead of viewing what I have as not enough and needing more, I should view it as, thank you, Lord, for what I have. Help me to manage it in a way that would honor you. Help me to bless you with what I've been given. Help me to be good stewards of what you have provided 
for me. So for just a moment, I want to give you just a quick list of how to be a good steward. How are we to be a good steward with, God's, with what God has provided? I got a little tongue tied there. Of what God has provided for us. How do we be good stewards? What does it look like to be a good steward? Well, the first thing we must do is take care of what God has given us. We must take care of what God has given us. We must be good stewards of what we have. What does this mean? It means not being wasteful or sinful with what the Lord has given us, whether that be monetary or possession-wise or our time. We must not be tempted in order to steal or manage in a way that's dishonest. We must be good about taking care of what the Lord has given us. Good stewardship says the Lord has given everything to me and I will honor him with it. I'm going to be a good manager of what he's blessed me with. And I'm not going to be tempted to steal or want more or pursue others. I'm going to be content with what God's given me and use it for his glory. You see, stealing is to say to the Lord, you've not provided. Therefore, I must provide for myself in wicked ways. And when we begin to steal, we find the greed in our heart growing. And so the one way to combat this greed is to see that the Lord has given us what we need and be generous in our giving. So we must take care of what the Lord has given us. What's another way to be a good steward? Well, simply working hard. Work hard. Toil with your hands. The Bible is chock full of verses, especially if you read the Proverbs, that work is good, that we are to work. Uh, This may come as a shock to you. I don't want to surprise you. But before sin, God established work. Work is not sinful. Work is God's design. Now, sin makes work harder. Sin makes the wrench that you got be the wrong size and you got to go back to the store, right? Sin makes the thorn on the rose prick your finger when you're trying to tend it. Sin makes the bugs eat the tomato plant that you've planted, right? Sin makes your boss not be nice to you all the time. That, that's involved in work, but work itself is from God and it's good. And so what we find in the idea of being a good steward is that we are to work and toil and bring honor to the Lord. Ephesians 4.28 The Apostle Paul would write this. He says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. We are commended to work. Good stewards work. So when the Lord gives us provisions, he's also giving us the strength in order to toil and reap and sow those provisions. God's given you a skill set. He's provided you a talent. He's provided you gifts. He's provided you opportunity. You are to take up the mantle of working and being a good steward with what he has given you. Also, being a good steward means that we are to be generous. Notice in the verse there that the person who was stealing is supposed to go to work, but they're not just supposed to go to work to provide for themselves. They're supposed to go to work in order to provide for others, to be generous in our hearts. We are not simply to work in order to fill our own desires. We are to work in order to fulfill the, or help meet the needs of others, first in our family and in our church, and then our neighborhoods and those that are in need. When God gives us something, when our provisions have been given to us from God, we are to use them to cultivate goodness in society and use them as mercy ministry in order to help those that are in need. What God has given you can be used for God's glory. You might say, well, pastor, I I don't have a lot to give away. I don't have a lot of things I can offer. Sure. You have your time. You can offer to a friend. You have your car. You can offer a ride. You have a little money. You can offer some groceries. You have expertise. You can offer your wisdom. Whatever God has given you, you can share and bless others. A.W. Tozer would write it this way. He would say, any temporal possession can be turned into everlasting wealth. Whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. If we use it for the kingdom, if we use it for good, then we can be good stewards of what God 
has given us. So we want to be good stewards. When we see the command, thou shalt not steal, we must first battle the idea that we're not trusting God to provide. Lord, I need to cut corners here. I need to cut a little bit here. I need to do this over here because I got to get a little bit more. I got to get a little bit more. I need a little bit more. And ultimately what we're saying is, Lord, we don't trust that you'll provide. We don't believe in your uh, provisions. Jerry Bridges would write it this way. He said there are three types of people. There are those who will say what's yours is mine, I'll take it. What's mine is mine, I'll keep it. Or what's mine is yours, I'll share it. That's the idea that we want to have. We want to be people who share what we have. We want to be good stewards. That's the call of the text, that we are to be good stewards. Paul would write to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7, you brought nothing into the world, and you'll take nothing out of the world. The old adage is you, you never see a U-Haul trailer behind a hearse, right? You, you can't take it with you. And so what God has given you, he is to be a good stewards of. So let's just be practical for a moment. Let's, let's be practical about this idea. Thou shalt not steal. We gave you the negative. It's not trusting the provisions of God. The positive is being a good steward with what you have. So let me ask you the question. Are you a good steward with what you have? I don't just mean tithing. We'll get to that in a moment. I mean with whatever God has given you, are you a good steward to work hard, cultivate it, and share those gifts with other people? Are you a good steward with the possessions that you have, with the wisdom that you have, with the skills that you have? Are you a good steward in blessing others with what God has given you? Or do you spend more time thinking about the provisions you don't have yet and you're constantly pursuing more, 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 more? This past couple of weeks, we've been repainting our house. I don't know if you guys know how marriage counseling begins, but it usually starts with painting your house. That's where it, that's where it begins. And what we did is we moved everything out of one room and painted it, or we moved it to the carport and painted And as I'm moving things around, I'm realizing something. We got too much stuff. We got, we got too many provisions. And so when it went to the carport, here was my strategic plan. For every one thing I put back in the house, when she wasn't looking, I put two things in the back of the truck. Right? Now, you know that didn't work, by the way. That did not work. But, but, but it just made me realize, several years ago, I'll give you one more analogy or, or story. Several years ago, we sold a house and moved to another house, and I rented a storage unit and put everything I couldn't fit in there while I was moving. Three years later, I went and opened that storage unit. For three years, I paid 50 bucks a month for a storage unit and never took a thing out of that unit. That's foolishness. Somebody could have used those dishes we never eat on. Somebody could have borrowed that uh, lawnmower that I certainly wasn't going to use, right? So there's a provision there. So, so it just kind of reminded me, and I know these are simple examples, but it just reminded me. The, the opposite of, of not trusting the provisions of God is being a good steward with the provisions of God. So when you read, thou shalt not steal, try reading it this way. Lord, I don't want to steal. Help me be a good steward. Thou shalt be a good steward. That, that's the positive way of reading it. There's a second negative from this passage that I want you to see. Not only does stealing show a disregard for God's provisions, but shows a disregard for personal property. It shows a disregard for personal property. Now, now inherent in this command is that when God says thou shalt not steal, he is making clear that some people own some stuff and they have a right to own it. 
that personal property is a biblical doctrine. You have a right to what you produce in your toiling, and I have a right to what I produce in my work. That there is clearly this idea that there are to be divisions between personal property. And so when we steal, we are disregarding the right of the owner to have control of the personal property that we are going against. Now, what does this mean? Well, let's get a little more spiritual. If I take what you have, I am disregarding the dignity of your personhood because you made in the image of God, given the gifts and talents that you have, toiled with your hands, worked, and got the possessions that you own under God's provisions so that they were for you. So when I take your stuff, I am simply disregarding the very dignity that makes you the person that God called you to be in working. So I'm disregarding the fact that God gave you skills and abilities and you went to work and you toiled and you did your job and you gained your possessions in a right and integrable way and now I'm disregarding that. So very clearly in the commandment, there is this uh, uh, prohibition against taking someone's personal belongings. What is yours is yours under God's care. And to the nation of Israel, this was a big deal. I mean, you think about it. They are an agricultural culture in the Old Testament. God has called them out into this wilderness, and He says, do not take what's not yours. Do not steal. Now, why would this matter? Because if you come in the middle of the night and you take my ox, I can't plow my field, I can't plant my garden, I can't feed my family. There's life and death involved in this. There's dignity. If you steal my bread, we may not eat. So what is mine is mine, and what is yours is yours. And God gives us in Scripture this clear understanding of personal property. Now, why does this matter? Because, brothers and sisters, there have been secular worldviews that have moved throughout history that have declared most predominantly we see this in the ideas of Marxism, this sinful ideology that we are somehow not supposed to own anything and throw everything into a pile and then it's redistributed by some authority over us. That's not biblical. That's not godly. That's, that's not from Scripture. The Bible tells us very clearly we are to work and toil and not be lazy and we are given the provisions of God and yes, we are to be generous with those provisions. We are to give those provisions away. We should be good stewards of them. But clearly, inherent in the command is a call to understand that personal property matters to God. That He's giving out these provisions. That He's drawing these lines. That this is God's command. We are to have this way. In fact, if I were to say to you a summary of some of the commandments, you cannot love your neighbor Right? If you do not regard his life, thou shalt not murder. You cannot love your neighbor if you do not regard his marriage. You shall not commit adultery. You cannot love your neighbor if you don't regard his possessions. Do not steal. To love your neighbor is to recognize he has authority over the things that God has given him. I know that my bent-up rake is not very important to you, but God's let me have that bent-up rake. It's in my possession, and I use it to let my kid rake the yard. I'm not raking anymore. That's why I have children. But the idea is, is that, that, that God's given that to me. It's under my care. It's under my watch. If you need to borrow it, by all means, you can borrow it. If you keep it for a long time, that's fine. See if you can straighten it out and send it back. But the idea is, is that those are my possessions so that God can give me to toil and do what God has called me to do. So when we steal, when we take something, we are not having a, a, a respectful view of other property. And let's go to the New Testament church to make sure we make this spiritual connection. And, and then we'll get past it because this is not... A, 
an overwhelming spiritual truth. But, but here's the idea in the New Testament. When we get to the New Testament, here's what we find. We find believers in the book of Acts who are transformed by the gospel. They are changed by the gospel. The Spirit of God falls in Acts chapter 2, and they get saved, and they start having revival in Jerusalem, and it spreads from there. And the Bible records in Acts chapter 2 that they committed together, they committed to pray, they committed to give, and then it even said they sold what they had in order to meet the needs of others. But don't miss the text. They chose to sell what they had in order to give it generously. Now we find even in the book of Acts that there are those who were trying to sell something and cheat a little to get the glory and the honor of being generous, but they weren't really being generous and God struck them down. And so the idea here is simply this. They were not some commune where everything goes into one pile. They were seen as people who toil and work and do their part and then generously come and give to the congregation. So, so let me be clear with you. Your possessions are your possessions, but you're not called to be stingy and you're not called to steal from others. You're called to toil and work and have a mindful understanding that you are to be good stewards. So if the negative is stealing means being good steward is the positive, then the negative here is stealing shows a disregard for personal property. Then then the positive would be here again saying God has given to each what they have toiled, what his provisions provide, and I'm not to overstep that bound. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 6 even says that you are to honor the one who works. It is a hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of his crops. You, you toil. You do your job. So, so when we read the commandment, you shall not steal, we understand that to steal is a disregard that God has given us what we needed, and it's to disregard personal property. Now, let's get to the crux of the commandment. How do we do this? You say, Pastor, I've never stole a bent rake from anybody. I promise, right? How do we steal? What does this look like? So, so let me give you the third and final truth this morning, and that's simply this. Stealing shows a disregard for the pursuit of holiness. Stealing shows a disregard for the pursuit of holiness. When we steal, we are disregarding what God is calling us to. Remember at the beginning... When I told you, what is spiritual look like? What does spirituality look like? What does devotion to God look like? It's obedience. It's listening and doing what the Lord has called us to do. It's, it's obeying God. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. James said, if you hear the word, be doers of the word. Ezra 7.10, and Ezra set his heart to know the word of the Lord, to do the word of the Lord, to teach the word of the Lord. He was set on doing it and teaching it. This is what made Ezra the great preacher that he was in the Old Testament. So we understand that the call of the believer is to do what God has said that we are to do. So here's the commandment. You shall not steal. So what does that mean? How do we do this? How do we keep from stealing? Well, you say, well, uh, one of the ways is we are to look at ourselves and understand that anytime we steal, it is to go against the call and the command of God. Now, brothers and sisters, let's be very clear about the text. You shall not steal means you shall not take anything that's not yours from someone else. It doesn't matter who it's from or the value of the item. If you take a penny from Hitler, that's stealing, right? Doesn't matter the value or who it's from, that's theft. To take something that's not yours from someone else, I know that's a very blown up illustration, right? But that's the idea, is that you're not allowed to take it. It doesn't matter the value, and it doesn't matter who the crime is against. To take something that's not yours is stealing. So how do we break this commandment? Let me give you a couple ways we break this commandment. I think this will be helpful for us. One, uh, theft. 
Let's just take it at face value. One of the ways we break the commandment is take stuff that's not ours. Do you know one uh, hospital, excuse me, one hotel chain, there was an article about hotel chains and theft and all this guy, and one hotel chain said in their first year of business, opening their hotels, they had to replace some 3,000 spoons, 355 coffee pots, countless towels, and 100 Bibles. Now, we might say it's okay to steal a Bible. We'll kind of, I'm not sure there. I'm not sure. Maybe the Lord will use the Bible to convict them of stealing, right? They'll go back and and pay for it. But the idea here is that, that we all steal, right? Theft is a problem. People take what is not there. So one of the ways we break this commandment is taking what is not yours. It's, it's literally lifting someone else's stuff and acquiring it and, and not giving it back, not taking it with permission, but stealing. But what are some other ways we might break this commandment? Let's get a little bit uh, closer to this. And as we walk through these, here's what I want you to keep in mind. I want you to see this quote from D.L. Moody. And I want you to think this in mind, because you might say, well, it's not that big a deal. I hadn't done that a lot. It's not a big deal. But listen to what D.L. Moody says about stealing. He says, the little indulgences, the small transgressions are what drives religion from the soul. They lay the foundation for grosser sins. So as I walk through these examples of how we might steal, I want you to just think to yourself, just a little bit, just a little bit is still sin. It's still wrong. It's still not the pursuit of holiness. So what does this look like? Well, let, let me give you a couple examples of how we might steal. In the Old Testament, we find that stealing was moving boundary lines, right? Stealing was making the measurements on your payment of wheat uh, to be illegal. Stealing was uh, uh, conning someone out of their work or doing cheap work. We find this all through the Old Testament. Stealing was kidnapping was included in this or taking someone's wife in adultery would be considered stealing. So it's a broad definition. So what are some ways in which we do this? Well, we have theft. But also we have uh, what I would suggest to you is theft, not only just theft, but theft of time. We steal time. We take time where we're supposed to have it. We could see this played out in a lot of places. In your job, you turn in a false time card. You didn't really work those full hours, but you wrote down that you did. You stole time. Or maybe you're at work and you're being lazy or off task or doing personal things instead of doing the things that God's called you to do at your job. That's stealing time. You, you stole time. That was not what you were supposed to be doing. So we steal time. Now, now I, I'm guessing that when I say you turned in false hours or you, you took a little time out of work to run a couple of errands that were for yourself, I'm guessing that pretty much lands on all of us at some point. That we, We've all been on that track before, and so, so now we can all just wallow in our sin together and stay with me because we're going to get to forgiveness at the end, okay? So we steal time. We're lazy at work. Maybe you stole time by calling in sick. <coughs> <coughs> Because that 18 holes of golf was calling, right? It's amazing how much better you feel in the tree stand, right? You call in sick, right? But uh, amazing, the medicine is climbing to a shooting house. Isn't that crazy how that works, right? We steal time. We steal time. What's another thing that we steal? Well, we theft of trade. In our work, we steal. We might give false values of work. We might give um, overpricing. You might charge too much interest that's illegal. We see this in the Scripture, that uh, uh, interest gousing among God's people was awful. You might cheat or steal on your taxes. You might slide a little bit on how much you really made. That's, that's stealing. That's wrong. Right? You, you, you might give a false representation of a product. It's brand new. right? It's only 10 years old with four dents, but it's brand new. That's, that's a lie. That's stealing. You stole value from it. You might claim disability when you're not disabled. That's stealing. That's wrong. You might write bad checks knowing that they're bad checks. You might 
uh, have this idea of doing plagiarism where you take something that's not yours and claim it as yours. Maybe your vocation is school and you steal answers off your friend. That's stealing. That's breaking the commandment. In our trade, we break the commandment. One uh, senator from Indiana back in the um, early 1900s, he wrote this. He said, show me a people whose trade is dishonest and I will show you a people whose religion is a sham. If you're not honest at work, then God's not working in your heart, right? If we, if we can say, and, and I've heard Christians say this, well, that's the cost of doing business. Well, that's just business. Well, that's how business works. Brothers and sisters, God did not call us to be thieves and sinners at business. He called us to be salt and light. We are to behave differently at work. So we steal in our jobs. Probably the one that stands out to me the most, though, is this next one. Stealing, theft, is something we battle with. Theft of time, theft of trade in our job. But, but here, brothers and sisters, is where I want to press in for just a moment. Probably one of the ways in which we as believers steal the most is theft from God. God, who has lavished His love on us by sending His Son to die for us. Even Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, where we find the grace of God. For I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God saved them. God rescued them. Then He gives His law to them. So our response to God's grace is obedience. And what does God require from us but our best? Our time, our effort, our abilities. This is what God desires, that we would give Him our first fruits in every part of our life, that He would be our all and all, but yet we steal time from Him. We steal effort from Him. We steal money from Him. Colossians 3.23 tells us, "...in whatever you do in word or in deed, do it unto the Lord." That whether that be in your marriage, your job, your home, your yard work, uh, going to church, helping your friend, paying your taxes, whatever you do, do unto the Lord. Don't steal from Him the glory He deserves in every part of your life. We find this in money. Malachi chapter 3 tells the people when they didn't bring their tithe into the storehouse, you are thieves from God. When we don't give God our tithes and offerings, we're stealing from God. This is not, this is a sin, this is wrong, this is breaking the eighth commandment that we steal from God every sin we commit is theft from God because he deserves the glory we're not giving him and the obedience that we're not showing so brothers and sisters when I read the eighth commandment thou shalt not steal yes I want to make sure that I don't pick up dollars that are not mine and I want to make sure that I do my job and not steal from work I want to make sure that I not steal from my friends and their abilities or their skills I don't want to steal from someone else's intellectual property I, I want to try my best to not steal on my taxes I want to fill those out right but ultimately when I read the eighth commandment here's where I want to make sure I'm constantly battling because I don't usually go around taking things that aren't mine although you leave a pan of brownies out it's all game on right but I don't go around taking things that aren't mine but I will steal from God. Oh, Lord, I know I should have read my Bible this morning, but I had to hurry off and get that thing done. Lord, I, I know I should have got my church up, my family up and went to church this morning, but we just had so many other things to do that I, I just couldn't do it today, Lord. Lord, I know I need to write that tithe check, but, but I got these other things. I got my eye on this other stuff, and so I, I need to pull that back. From you, Lord, I know you're calling me to walk across the street to my neighbor and share the gospel with them. And you deserve the glory of them hearing the good news and even maybe, just maybe, getting saved. But I'm going to take that back and do something else with that time. Brothers and sisters, I'm most convicted over the Eighth Commandment when I think about how we steal from God and His goodness. 
and His glory. He is worthy of everything we can give Him and more. And we should be convicted over this. Every sin moves us away. I heard one writer say it simply this way, talking about being someone who gives generously financially. He said, I'd rather go to the king, a poor man, than go to hell, a rich man. I want to go to the Lord giving away and being generous and not stealing with my money or my time or my talents because I'd rather walk into the kingdom of God, a poor man who sought the Lord, than a rich man who found hell at his destination. The goal here is to be generous with our time. And so how would you close a sermon like this? Well, I want to tell you that when I read the Eighth Commandment, here's what I'm convinced of. We've all broken it. We've all broken it. You broke it as a child when you took the toy that was not yours. You broke it as a teenager when you looked on your neighbor's test at school. You, you broke it. You broke it at work when you filled out the wrong timesheet. You broke it when you called in sick because the, the deer was calling or the golf course was echoing. You, you broke it when you didn't give God your best, when you didn't write your tithe, when you didn't give your offering, when you didn't read your Bible. We've all broken this sin. We've all broken this commandment. And here's what the Bible says. No one who is sin will enter the kingdom of God. No one will go in. Lawbreakers will not be led into the kingdom. So when I read the Eighth Commandment, I am reminded once again from the commandments that I am separated from God, and if somebody doesn't do something for me, I'm in trouble. But here's the beauty of the Eighth Commandment. Here's the beauty of studying the commandments. The commandments remind us that we are lawbreakers separated from God. But here's the beauty of the commandments. The Bible would tell us through the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans that the law was a precursor. What was it doing? It was showing us our great need for salvation. God does not expect you to keep the law perfectly because He knows you are fallen sinners. He desires you to, He calls you to, and He will not let sin into the kingdom. But He knows we can't do it. And so what does He do? He sends His one and only Son, His perfect Son, Jesus Christ. He came to earth and He never broke a commandment. He never took one thing that wasn't His. He used all the possessions that God the Father gave Him and He did it generously and with great stewardship. And He poured out His blood in order to save them. And you want to know the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Think back with me at Calvary when Jesus is hanging on the tree. You know who the Bible says is on the right and left? Two thieves. Two robbers. Two people who have blatantly committed sin against the Eighth Commandment. In fact, Matthew chapter 27, verse 38 would tell us that He's hanging between two thieves. And this is what it says. Then two robbers were crucified with Him, one on His right, one on his left. But you know what Matthew doesn't quite tell us? Matthew doesn't tell us that while the earth view is two robbers and Jesus in the middle, the heaven view is three robbers. The heaven view is that Jesus took our sin and our curse and it was laid on his shoulders. And the heaven view is there was one robber and another robber and Corey, that scoundrel robber, hanging in the middle with his sins on Jesus Christ's shoulders. You see, the heaven view is we broke the commandment and Jesus stood in our place. This is why the prophet Isaiah would say he was numbered among transgressors. He was counted as sinners. But here's the beautiful truth about it. 
while I should have been on that cross between those two thieves dying a sinner's death because I too have broken the Eighth Commandment, Jesus stood in my place. Jesus stood in your place. Jesus died where you should have died, but He was buried in a tomb you should have been buried in. And brothers and sisters, you could not come back from the dead, but Jesus could. And He rose from the grave and He declares, all who are with Me are sin. They're washed away. They are forgiven. In fact, we know this to be true. Jesus saves robbers. He saves thieves. You know how I know this? Because Luke chapter 23 tells me about a dialogue between those thieves on the cross. Listen to what it says. And one thief said to him, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The thief, the robber, the breaker of the eighth commandment, hanging on the tree, dying a death he deserved, looks at Jesus, dying a death he did not deserve, and say, Jesus, when you get into your kingdom, when you come back, when glory surrounds you, would you just remember me? And what does Jesus say? Well, you didn't keep the Eighth Commandment. Good luck. Well, too bad. You, you should have kept the commandments. You're not going to make it in. I'm sorry. Heaven's only for saved people. Only for righteous people. What does Jesus say? Today. Today you will be with me in paradise. Not you better get it right. You better wash it off. You better try harder. It's I will save you. Brothers and sisters, here's the beauty of the Gospel. Jesus saves those who steal. He saves robbers and thieves just like you and me. So every time I've I filled out the wrong time card or looked on my neighbor's paper at school or called in sick when I went hunting, and every time I took something that wasn't mine, all of those sins laid on my shoulder that should have sent me into an eternal abyss away from God, all of those sins were laid on Jesus so that He might save us. He might redeem us. And you know what's beautiful about the salvation Jesus gives us, and I'll close with this, is that the Bible tells us that Satan came to kill, steal, and destroy. That everything Satan touches, he tries to take away and tries to ruin and tries to go away. But here's the beautiful thing about our Lord Jesus, that when the Lord Jesus saves you, there is no eighth commandment that can take you away from Him. There is nobody that can steal you from the Lord Jesus Christ. That nobody can commit the sin of theft on your salvation. In fact, this is what we read in John chapter 10 where Jesus tells us in John 10, 27-30, My sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one, now notice here, no one will snatch, steal, rob them out of my hand. This is the beauty of of the gospel. I am a thief and Jesus died a thief in my place so that I might be saved and therefore never ever be lost again. What a beautiful truth. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, Lord, we read the eighth commandment uh, and it's, it's, it's not hard to understand. It doesn't take a lot of uh, Hebrew lessons. It doesn't take a lot of seminary training. It doesn't take a lot of deep philosophy. It's, it's, it's straightforward and true. If we take something that's not ours, we are mocking your provisions. We are disregarding personal property. And we are not pursuing holiness. We are robbers and thieves. We are sinners and we are destined to be separated from you. That, that's what the Eighth Commandment tells us. And so Lord, I pray right now for those that are in the room and those that are watching, that they know that they're thieves. They know that they've stolen things that are not theirs. Maybe it's possessions, maybe it's material, maybe it's money, maybe it's time. They know they're thieves. And Father, they've never had their sins forgiven. And so Father, I pray right now for the one who's never come to Jesus, who's never cried out for mercy, who's never asked for forgiveness. 
Lord, I pray that you'd convict their heart and you'd tell them, thieves do not enter the kingdom of heaven. Those who steal and rob will not make it into the kingdom because, Father, those who walk into heaven must be perfect. And so, Lord, the only way for us to be made perfect is for Jesus Christ to forgive us our sins and wash us with His blood. Lord, the only way for us to be perfect when we ourselves are thieves is to lay our our stealing, all of our sin, on the shoulders of Jesus. And so, Father, I pray right now for that one who's watching or who's sitting here that, that they know they need Jesus to forgive them. Lord, I pray that they would cry out to you. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ came and died and was buried and rose from the grave, we shall be saved. So, brother, sister, right now, you can cry out to Jesus and ask Him to forgive you of your sins, turn from them, tell Him you don't want to be a sinner anymore, and ask Him to save you. And He will forgive you. And all the sins that you've committed, including the sin of theft, will be laid on His shoulders at Calvary. Oh, would you do that today? Maybe you're here and you are a believer, you're a Christian, but you know we struggle with this sin. I, I may have pointed out some areas where you say, ooh, ooh, that one touched me. That, that, that's one I've been, I've been uh, lacking on. I've been stealing here. I've been stealing time from God. I've not been reading my Word. I've been stealing financially from the Lord. I've been stealing from work. I, I've been stealing at school. I've, I've been stealing. Maybe the Lord's convicting you. Brother and sister, we know what, what we're to do. We're to confess our sins and repent and follow after Him. The great thing about it is that the Lord Jesus not only saves us, but His Spirit enters inside of us and helps us walk in pursuit of holiness. So when we confess and we follow Christ, He will aid us on that way. Some of you need to have retribution. You need to go and and repay. Like Zacchaeus, who had stolen much, had to repay. You, You need to go and make it right with someone. And so I pray you'll have the courage to do that. Father, I pray as we stand to sing in just a moment that our response will be hearts of worship, and that we would, we, would, we would just worship you because you've forgiven us sinners. Lord, I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we're going to stand and sing a song of response. If there's something that has, the Lord has laid on your heart or touched you and you want to talk to me about it, then I encourage you just after the service, after people have made their way out, I'll be in here. I'd love to talk with you this morning. Let's stand and sing to the Lord and rejoice in His salvation.